Greetings, fellow midnight creatures. Tonight, let's talk about vampires. Or at least one author's idea of what constitutes a living vampire in this jungle of steel and stone of the modern world. I will let you know this book, and consequently this episode, will cover blood drinking to some extent, but I'll try not to get too graphic. Maybe. The majority of this episode will cover what has come to be known in common occult parlance as the Strigoi, or the Living Vampire. The following not only deals with the living vampire, but also the sorceries a living vampire or an individual seeking to utilize this type of magic may enlist. I prepared for this inter for this review not only by reading the book, but also by watching videos the author released and by listening to interviews which were conducted with him. Tonight, we will be reviewing author D.H. Thorne's The Infernal Vampire Handbook. Thorne's bio reads thusly, and I absolutely did not write this. D.H. Thorne is an established, self-published author, artist, philosopher, social media creator, and occultist. He continues to be a practical, intuitive sorcerer who answers to no one but himself and the spirits who guide him. D.H. Thorne appeared out of nowhere on social media in 2018 as an aspiring new occultist and quickly gained the attention and respect of the community at large. He performs professional dark magic rituals and spiritual consultations for hire, and his services are highly sought after among those in the know. His first book, Become the Maelstrom, has become a favorite for novices in the dark arts looking for a core system of black magic and demon sorcery, as well as a book highly recommended by experienced mages as well. Become the Maelstrom applies a non-dogmatic interpretation of non-dualism, neoplatonism, chaos magic principles, and other monist esoteric mystical concepts to open the door for a practitioner of any faith or background to begin working with the darker side of spirituality from a rational, magical perspective. Shadow Nomicon, a grimoire of the Shadow People, was released in October of 2019, and Lightning Struck Twice, both books being highly praised and valued, but this one was now for the much more advanced practitioners, and not for the novice nor faint of heart. The Infernal Vampire Handbook is his third book, and though smaller than the other two, it is packed with useful information and magical techniques. It is a book that is less about theory and more about rational metaphysical explanations and practical applications. You do not need to be a vampire to use vampiric magic and energy work techniques. D.H. Thorne intends to further fill out this literary catalog with more spiritual books as well as works of fiction, so make sure to follow him and do not miss when he releases something new. The book starts with a goth club scene straight out of the 90s with the chapter, quote-unquote, Enter the Vampire. The following short tale is a realistic but fictional representation of what it is like to be a vampire in the modern goth subculture scene. I'm not going to read this entire section to you, but if you were alive during the goth and vampire club scene of the 90s, this will be painfully familiar to you depending on who you hung out with at the time. This opening glimpse into the life of a vampire will either be a pleasant walk down memory lane or one of the cringiest freaking things you will ever read related to modern vampirism. If you are not, you may count yourself lucky, even though this time period were the formative years of the modern vampire movement. I haven't been to a goth club or a vampire club in a very long time, but the description feels very vintage, as they say. The author continues with a metaphysical overview of vampirism. From the text, there is a fairly firm consensus between many who work in this current, though by no means a universal one, 
that vampirism is ultimately a condition and or practice that is directly predicated upon the energy body and the energy of life itself in one form or another. That ends the entry that I will be quoting. And I have philosophical issues with an assertion put forth in this section. Here Mr. Thorne posits vampires are the way they are due to some kind of chakra or energetic deficit. I find, I find this to be demonstrative of some of the occult movements of the modern age and at odds with the philosophy of the left-hand path. In short, and in my opinion, the left-hand path is about self-empowerment, self-deification, and antinomianism. I have spent time with those who walk this path and claim to be, or perhaps are, vampires who espouse this idea and it smacks of weakness, which is anathema to the crooked path most practitioners of the left-hand walk. Vampires are not victims, but victors, for they have conquered that which is unconquerable. For the living vampire, they have conquered the lower, their lower self and are truly becoming who they are. For those who have moved beyond, they have conquered death itself. I don't know if Thorne is precisely coming at the vampire's existence from this modern paradigm exactly, but it seems he is and I disagree with the assertion of vampires deficient or afflicted in some way. If you analyze what a vampire is, you find vampires are primarily metaphysically isolate predators. Predators do not hunt because they are deficient in their prey. For example, a wolf is not deficient in rabbit. A wolf hunts because it is hungry. If it cannot find a rabbit, a squirrel will do. On this planet, humans are essentially the apex predator on the day side, but on the night side, the vampire exists above them on the chain hungry and waiting. That being said, the rest of the energetic explanations and descriptions in this chapter are fairly straightforward and accurate as far as they go. Thorne continues, quote, The idea follows that all vampires are technically energy vampires, and it is only the medium of exchange which differs between what are typically called sanguinarian vampires and what are called psi or psychic vampires, end quote. Now this is something I agree with, whether the vampire participates in wholly psychic or pranic feeding, or they are what is now termed a sanguinarian, the need is the same. A sanguinarian does not take nutritive, nutritive sustenance from the blood of a donor necessarily. The blood is merely the vehicle for the energies the vampire hungers. Let's face it, what is a vampire if there's not a little blood involved, eh? Next, the author describes, quote unquote, vampirism as a condition of the energy body. He states, quote, the energy body is the egregoric thought form which we create as an interface between our higher astral self and our lower material body." Unquote. I would take minor issue with the idea the energy body of a human is an egregoric thought form. An egregore, for those not familiar with the term, is essentially a thought construct given form and function by the conscious or subconscious will of a group of humans or an individual human. I put forth the energy body of the human exists independent of the thoughts or wills of human. As living beings all share some sort of energetic field, whether they have active wills or not. In this instance, I use the term will in its magical sense, for the true will of the magician. The energy body being an interface between the higher astral self and the lower material body is something I can agree with, save one sticking point. The idea that physical, mental, and spiritual planes are in some way separate, or one is lower or higher than another. This idea stems from a school of thought which seems based in reductive materialism in a way. These facets of being are not separate. One being greater or more important than another, these things are the very pillars of magic and existence itself. 
all are equally important and equally valuable to a practitioner of the art. If you are deficient in one aspect, all suffer. You cannot properly channel the forces of magic or your will through a neglected body, nor can you properly focus your will with a mind which cannot be present. You cannot marshal the forces of the universe with a weak spirit. Now he outlines, quote, the layers, auric egg slash bioelectric field, the energy body has multiple layers and facets, some manifestations of which are rationally detectable by science. Our body has a detectable electromagnetic field, and our energy body radiates a field of force, one that can even be detected by the scientific method. This is known as the heart's magnetic field or bioelectric field, unquote. This I agree with. From Curlian photography to people being able to sense each other without knowing another person is in the room, the human bioelectrical field is a real manifestation. The interactions of these field, fields is what makes things like Reiki and certain aspects of the more esoteric martial arts function. Thorne now describes the immortals. Quote, this may be pure conjecture and speculation on my part. However, it seems common for those who demonstrate themselves to be vampires to have vivid memories of past lives and demonstrate a kind of undying soul that re reincarnates over and over again. Could this be the true origin of the undead or immortal feature that most vampire myths propagate?" Unquote. What do I think? In short, eh, maybe. Here we need to differentiate between what is referred to as the Strigoi, that is the living vampire of modern times, and the Moroi, or the undead vampire, what some currents of vampirism refer to as true vampires or the undead gods. These are the ones who have either moved beyond death in one way or another, or transcended physical mortality itself, a la Count Saint-Germain, via some unknown means. I feel the idea of a vampire having some access to their past selves as a concept makes sense. In some schools of the left-hand path, the entire purpose of magic is self-deification and empowering your psyche or spirit to transcend death and continue on in whatever fashion it can. He continues with Vampire Gnosis, quote, I make a distinction between latent or unaware vampires and the more awakened or self-actualized vampire. The former is unaware of their vampiric nature, and their energy body and subconscious will compensate with mundane activity that might cultivate and release emotional or psychic energy from others, and at night perform astral feeding habits in their dreams. The awakened vampire is someone who, for whatever reason, figure themselves out and find help from the vampire community or intuitively figure things out because they have a magical practice or strong intuition." Unquote. I'm glad the author makes this distinction here. It is of note, unawakened vampires can become those psychic vampires who are the proverbial pot-stirrers in order to arouse the emotional energy upon which they unknowingly feed. The unintentional attitude of these individuals can put them at odds with those around them and very easily can end up causing them to be alienated, which to a psychic vampire can be like a living death, unable to satisfy their spiritual hunger. Now he asks the question, quote, did you say vampirism can be cured? Curing the condition of vampirism can often be a simple matter of doing some healing energy work, maybe ritual, or simply changing areas of your life that lead, you, lead to your energy imbalances, unquote. Again, the author's assertion here appears to be there is an energetic deficit in the vampire, and again, I must disagree. Although energy work may alleviate vampiric symptoms, it is not a cure. 
Those who find themselves in this current do so for a reason. A vampire is a predator. To paraphrase an early 20th century philosopher, they are predators of the soul. There is nothing wrong with them, any more than there is something wrong with the large cats of the veldt or the wolves of the forest. They simply are what they are. I would posit rather that than being deficient in an energy, they have a bigger battery than their mundane sources of sustenance. Up until now, the author has described theories. Now he moves on to the practice. The appetizer course is over. It is now time for the feast with the grimoire of techniques and rituals. He states, quote, Lunar significance. The moon is of significance to Lilith and the vampire current in general. Not unique to the myths of werewolves, the moon has almost always been important to the vampire as well. The day before the new moon, the new moon, and the day after the new moon being a particularly important three-day period for the vampire, ma for vampire magic and Lilith. However, for draining vampire magic, the waning and new moon phases are ideal. The winter solstice, depends on your hemisphere, is when the life of the world is at its lowest point and a great time to make offering or work with Lilith. A great time to completely drain yourself and the world of undesired energy and empower yourself with the new rising energy of the new year." Unquote. This chapter gets into the nitty-gritty of working with Lilith, who in this current is the goddess of the vampire. In some of the schools in which I studied, Lilith and Cain were seen as the father and mother of vampires, and many night things in general gave the practice both the masculine and feminine balance missing in a lot of teachings today. The myth passed down was, when Cain was kicked out of his parents' place by a very irate landlord, he journeyed to the east. As you can imagine, there were not a whole lot of people around during this time. He eventually comes across Lilith, Adam's first wife, who was too independent for Adam's tastes, and who, according to legend, was making monster babies with a fellow from downtown named Samael. But they had a somewhat of an open relationship, Lilith being who she was and Samael being a literal demon. Cain and her eventually get a little something going on, and from there, monsters who look human, but necessarily aren't, were created. Depending on your practice, the moon takes on a feminine or masculine aspect. In many practices and schools, it has a masculine aspect, the hunter's moon and all that. Also, the moon can represent the cold, calculating nature needing to survive in a harsh environment whereas the sun is warming and contributes to growth and life, which are feminine attributes in my opinion. The time of the moon is for dark doings and shady dealings, not necessarily life and growth. I have not been privy to differences in feeding during different cycles of the moon, but I can see how it could easily be incorporated into one's personal mythology surrounding this current. The author lists several types of incense useful for working with Lilith, mainly sandalwood, dragon's blood, cinnamon, frankincense, myrrh, and Copal. The book continues on with rituals to devote oneself to Lilith in the section titled Embracing the Sanguine Darkness. Quote, the following rituals are initiatory rites designed to align the sorcerer or vampire with the current of vampire magic. One does not need to be a vampire to perform this ritual. Initiation, the dying moon. This ritual will use the symbolism of the waning moon as it transitions from full to new symbolizing the empowerment of Lilith and the draining effect of the vampire nature. As the last light of the moon is devoured by darkness, the hopeful shall make their final dedication and offering and begin their new life as an initiate into Lilith's sanguine family." Unquote. 
One of the recommendations for Ritual is to obtain a suitable awk to be worn. Being a huge nerd, I love this. Ritual accoutrements are important to put a practitioner into the proper headspace for many rituals. And the rituals of the vampire are no different. There are many vampire onks on the market, one of the holdovers from the vampire craze of the 90s being the style from the White Wolf Vampire the Masquerade game. You can find any number of variations available on Etsy or similar sites. And although Egyptian, the Ankh has held a special place in the vampire community, for a time as it is known as the He of Life, and symbolizes life itself. And what is a vampire if not one who craves life and to live fully? The author goes on to describe the three arts of consumption, starting with developing what the author refers to as the prana mouth. Quote, Every living being's energy body acts as both a barrier and a porous membrane much like the cell wall of a microbe. Energy filters in, and energy emanates out. However, in each energy body, there are locations where this energy flows in and out with more ease. Everyone is fundamentally unique in that each of us will visualize and experience a somewhat or even drastically different reality. Some will swear only on chakra, others on danqian, others on auric eggs, and so on." Unquote. Thorne goes on to explain the various ways of visualizing the energy body, and some methods for developing a quote-unquote psychic mouth for feeding. The visualization is described as crimson or black tentacles emanating from the vampire's body, which is similar to the teachings of other currents of vampiric magic. He goes on with the vampire's breath, quote, an important skill for a vampire or anyone working with moving energy into and out of their body is to practice and master using their breathing as a sympathetic interface for the energy in their body and how it moves." Unquote. This skill is described as the visualization of the energetic inhalation and exhalation of pranic energy. As the author states, it is energy the vampire is feeding on, no matter what their preference for form of feeding, which is true so far as it goes. Thorne now enumerates the three arts of consumption. The first he refers to as the way of blood. Quote, of the three ways, the way of blood is by far the easier, easier for the neophyte, being the most mechanical in nature, but with practice, it is also the most precise and potent. It is also the most risky and unhealthy to participate in, having the highest chance of coming into unsanitary contact with dangerous pathogens and germs. Unquote. I'll also add, it is truly the most intimate and consonant with the true archetype of the vampire. It's also pretty sexy. This way is obviously the drawing of the blood from the donor into the vampire's physical body, with the energetic feeding hitching a ride on the tides of the physical. Thorne goes on to say, quote, I find using physical inhalations time to coincide with the donor's exhalations to be the most useful technique for maximizing flow, unquote. This gets us back to the energetic body discussion Thor brought, Thorne brought up earlier. Seeking the breath of predator and prey, or donor and recipient, or however you feel comfortable phrasing it, is the surest way to maximize the transfer of prana, chi, vril, whatever you want to call it. The exchange of energy becomes as inexorable as the tides. The next way he describes is the way of energy. Quote, this method is sometimes less immediately potent and more difficult than complex, but when mastered can be just as potent and powerful and much safer in the physical sense. Physical contact may or may not be needed, and blood is only useful to those who do hybrid feeding, as I often did, 
combining physical contact with blood and energy, feeding at the same time." Unquote. This is the typical feeding method of the psychic, pranic, energetic vampires. Many authors and orders have enumerated on this method, chief among them being the Temple of the Vampire and author Michelle Belanger and her The Psychic Vampire Codex, which is a bit of a must-read in the energetic vampire community since it was written. The final one is what he terms the way of the ghost bat. Quote, Above all, remember that this is, at least as written, a baneful predatory act, and the target's subconscious or soul may retaliate or defend itself against you. You could, of course, alter this ritual to be more to be used in more different ways. It is nothing too complex to change the meditative visualizations and intentions. However, I will leave that up to you, and you will need to keep protection in mind. For this reason, you will need to prepare yourself with protections and wards from harm for prior to attempting this." Unquote. Okay, I have to be honest here. The second I read the title of this section, The Way of the Ghost Bat, I thought of old kung fu movies. My ghost bat style will defeat your slumbering wombat style. Although I got a chuckle out of the title, the operation is sound. It is a form of astral projection or dream walking, depending on how you do it. The author's advice is pertinent, however. When you leave your body behind during an operation, you should take care to ward it. You wouldn't want any uninvited guests in your home when you got back to it. The next section is protection from the vampire. Quote, protecting yourself from vampires is clearly easier against a sanguinarian vampire than an energy vampire. Unquote. The best thing to protect yourself from the Stergoi type of sanguinarian vampire is a basic down-home country ass-kicking. They are a physical presence in your space, and if attacked, you have the duty and the right to defend yourself. Simple as. He goes on to state, quote, Or the energy vampire may just use visualizations and meditations and astral ghost bat style attacks, though they may use some entirely different techniques than what I described. They may still do what is essentially the same kind of exercise, even if everything has changed. The principle is largely the same." Unquote. The author here describes basic wardings and exercises the recipient of an energetic vampire's attack can undertake to protect themselves. As mentioned earlier, Belanger's book is also a good resource for this information. And to close out this review, or to close out this book, Mr. Thorne has included some bonus content of a particular variety, but you'll have to buy his book to find out what it is. It is available in print and on Kindle. Mr. Thorne has both a Patreon page and a YouTube page, which I would encourage you to visit if you want to learn more about his works. So until next time, I'll see you on the night side.